0: All right, this morning I I want to wrap up this series that we've been uh, looking at now for the last five weeks. This is part five of Rules of Engagement, and uh, what I want to do is just take maybe about three minutes, four minutes, maybe even less than that, and and just kind of sum up where we've been so that we can uh, have a safe landing and a, and a good conclusion to this series. Some of you have told me personally that the, the, the word of the Lord over the last several weeks has been exactly what you needed to hear, and and they were uh, words of encouragement. And I was encouraged by the fact that uh, uh, God has been uh, using this series to uh, bless you, to, to, to give you uh, an understanding of what's next in your life. And so... Uh, once again, let me just say this: that the idea of rules of engagement is is it's it's the the who, what, when, where, and how force was to be applied in combat situations. And of course, the con- the combat situations that we're talking about uh, is the good fight of faith. Uh, it's this life struggle that we're that we're dealing with as believers in Christ and. And so uh, Paul said, I fought the good fight of faith. I finished the race. And, and we want to be able to say that when we have finished the course that God has set for us, that we have uh, done uh, as well. One of the things that we said uh, in this is that we're trying to develop strategies for, for what to do when we're stuck between a rock and a hard place, when, when our back is up against the wall. What is the 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 military strategy, so to speak, of of how to respond in these difficult and uh, trying circumstances. So, one of the the first things that we said was that when we find ourselves stuck between a rock and a hard place, is to stay calm. Stay calm and stay focused. Uh, We are to fix our hearts upon God one of the attitudes that we should cultivate is that we will not be afraid. We will not yield or give into fear. And that should be uh, a default mode that we have in our hearts, that whenever something arises, we we say like the psalmist in Psalm 112, my heart is fixed trusting in the Lord. I will not be moved in the day of an evil report. One of the things that we also discovered was that God gives us grace moment by moment, day by day. We don't have grace for next week because we're not living next week le- yet. And so Jesus lived a, a style of, of day by day, of moment by moment dependence upon the Father. And we discovered that, that people who live completely surrendered and completely trusting in the Lord not only glorify God, but cause the world to stand up and take notice of the man or woman who, who trusts completely in the Lord and is dependent upon the Lord. We spoke about practicing the, the art of encouraging ourselves in the Lord, that is, speaking to our own soul the, the, the promises of God, like David, who said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, directing your inner self to, 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 to literally... Uh, be thankful to God to to express His His benefits. Uh, David said, "Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him." Uh, we said that one of the the ways of of, be, of becoming a blessing and and being a blessing is by being more concerned about God's glory than our own comfort. And that what we've come to realize is that if we find ourselves stuck between a rock and a hard place, it's God. Who has, who has directed our footsteps. God is the one who is in control. He is sovereign. Another wise strategy that we discovered was that we are to be aware of the enemy's nature. We, we know Satan's devices, but our eyes are fixed on God. That we have a balanced world biblical view of the way things are. And, that, and, and what I mean by a balanced world view uh, is, is I put it like this, that, that we don't have an equal knowledge of Satan and an equal knowledge of God. That, that's not balanced. That's not the kind of balance I'm talking about. But the ratio is probably more like 50 to 1, that if Paul mentioned Satan about 10 times in Scripture and, and the devil about five times, out of the 15 times that he d- does mention the powers of darkness, there's about 500 verses in which Paul talks about Jesus Christ as the Lord. And so, to me, that is a Christ-centered, and that is a balanced kind of life that I want to have for me as, as, as well as it was for Paul. We spoke about guidance and, and looking to God for direction. When we don't know what to do next, that our eyes are fixed on God. And, and we said it's like dancing. It's like, it's like t- two people dancing. One has to lead. If both try to lead, it's going to be awkward and, and disjointed. But, but when one submits and surrenders to the other is attentive, is, is sensitive, is, is listening to God's still soft voice, we, we can dance with God and God will give us the necessary guidance that we need. And lastly, we said that we need to fix our eyes on the awesomeness of God. You know, we, 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 we could literally, if you, if you take a dime, a thin dime, and, you, and you're outside and the sun is shining in its brightness, if you hold that little thin dime up close to your eye, you can literally block out the light of the sun. And here's the thing is that if we look and focus in on our problems and our circumstances and the difficulties that we're facing, we can literally block out the awesomeness of God who, who called the sun into existence, who... who Holds the oceans in the crevices of his hands, who, who expanded the universe by the by the measure of his arm, who, who calls the, the stars by name and the billions and billions of galaxies and, and billions of stars that are there, God knows them by name. So so focus on the awesomeness of God. And when you do that you you begin to become, you begin to, to, to fill your mind with greater thoughts. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And remember also that we, that we were paralleling the the Red Sea, this great miracle that is in the Old Testament with the greatest miracle of all of the New Testament and that is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross and the resurrection where in the Red Sea what we're going to soon discover is that is that God overthrew Pharaoh and all of his enemies in the Red Sea. But at the cross, Jesus destroyed principalities and powers and he triumphed over them. In, the, in his cross. And we see that parallel. So let's pick up in our story in Exodus chapter 14. And we'll uh, wrap up this message this morning with just one more prayer. Father, bless now the word of the Lord in our hearts and in our understanding. Give us revelation of what you're saying by the Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 26 says, Then... The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back over And back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground repeatedly. God wants us to know that, listen, the the awesomeness of this miracle was not only that God divided the sea Step by step. Remember we spoke about that last week? He didn't do it all at once the way it was filmed on, on uh, you know, the Ten Commandments. It was as they put their trust in God. It was progressive. All that night long, the Lord caused a strong east wind to, to, to part the waters. And as they took a step of faith and a step of faith and a step of faith, so God opened up the Red Sea for them. But here's also a miracle They walked on dry ground. They walked on solid ground. But when the Egyptians followed them, their wheels came off because their their ground became soft. How cool is that? Verse 30 says, That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians... The people feared or revered the Lord, and they put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. What a sight that must have been, having been chased by your enemies now to see them as dead bodies just floating there in the water. You know, this miracle, right, has has, has been presented to us, and, and we knew what the outcome was even before we began studying this but but it's such a powerful demonstration of the display of god's mighty power let's look at chapter 15 now just a couple of verses it says then moses and the israelites sang this song to the lord i will sing to the lord for he is highly exalted the horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. And the song goes on for about another dozen verses or so. But I want you to notice something, that this is the first time in scripture that a song is sung, that a song is mentioned in the word of God. And right after this, it says that Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine, and she with the women went, went out uh, in, a, in a place where they began to dance and they began to sing and they began to celebrate what God had done. Now, I want you to know this, that whenever we study Scripture, there is such a thing as, as called a principle. It's called the law of first mention. The law first mentioned is simply this, that wherever a subject is first brought up in Scripture, it usually has a consistency, a a, a continuity, a flow of meaning. And so we we can look all the way over in the book of Revelation, all these books later, you know, six, uh, 65 books later, and, and we could see, you know, that there's still a consistency when it comes to singing the songs of the Lord, you know, songs of deliverance, songs of praise, you know. So I, I want to point that out and stress that this is the, the Laura first mentioned. And what I believe with all my heart is that, that here is one of the most powerful spiritual weapons that God has ordained for the children of God, for children of faith, to utilize in this war as a strategy against the powers of darkness, it is it is praise. It is to lift up this word of praise. Moses said, For he is my God and I will praise him. And the whole song really is a an exalting of God. It's saying, Look at how awesome God is. Look at what God has done for us. Isn't God mighty and isn't God wonderful? You know, praise and worship is this powerful offensive weapon that God has established for us. Paul in the New Testament says, 2 Corinthians ten three that though we walk in the flesh that is in, in these human bodies of ours, in our human weakness, we do not war after the flesh. But the weapons that, that, that we have, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the dismantling and to the demolishing of strongholds. Paul says that we've got weapons, listen, spiritual weapons that are able to demolish strongholds. And the strongholds that Paul is talking about, they are mindsets, they are imaginations, they are thoughts. Remember we said a couple of weeks ago that the battle is not in the circumstances that we face, but the battle really is taking place in the mind and the hearts of God's people. So Paul tells us that we have these spiritual weapons that are mighty through God to the dismantling and the demolishing of these strongholds. Now, one of the things I want you to to understand this morning is that praise is ordained by God as a weapon so that we might be able to dismantle and demolish the powers of darkness. And this is so important. And I I want to say this, that that I see this as a seed because it's the Lord first mentioned, but it's a seed that will begin to bear fruit through the DNA history of the children of Israel. And and we'll look at some of those examples in a few minutes, but but this is just in seed form. It's the beginning of, of something that God is revealing to his people as Moses begins to sing this song of praise to the Lord. It's a seed that will germinate and that will bring forth much fruit. You know, the Bible says that we are to bring forth the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus. That we're to offer unto him the, the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But I want to say this. Anybody, anyone can sing and shout and dance, and anyone can praise and lift up thanksgiving to God on the safe side of the Red Sea. But the seeds that I believe that God was sowing into the hearts of his people is to be able to sing and to shout and to praise God before the battle is over, when the battle is just begun or in the midst of the battle, that we would begin to understand that this is the spiritual weapon that God has given to us. Because listen, it doesn't take faith. To thank God when, the, when, when, when your checking account is full. It doesn't take faith to, to express thanks unto God when your relationships are good and solid and everything is fine and your children are serving the Lord. It takes faith, however, when in the midst of the battle, the, the checking account is empty or the, or the, the relationships are not going right or, or your children are not serving the Lord. But to offer up a sacrifice of praise while in the midst of circumstances such as that, that is what God, I believe, is after this morning, to sing and to shout and to give praise to God before we know what the outcome is, is to express our confidence and our faith in God. That's the kind of faith that the Bible says overcomes the world, even our faith. Here are these seeds. Let me give you a couple of, uh, of, of verses of Scripture as, as the progression of unfolding of this revelation over generations began to cement into the lives of the children of Israel. David. David was so was so attuned to praise. Uh, David established what is called the Tabernacle of David, where where they had uh, 24 hour a day, he had three different courses of musicians who all they did before the tabernacle of the Lord was to lift up praise unto God. Continually, they brought praise unto God 24 hours a day. And out of the abundance of that praise and worship came tremendous revelation. The fame of David and the fear of David spread to the nations of the earth. Men brought tribute to David as a result of of the revelations that came out of this, what's called the tabernacle of David. Listen to what David wrote about the significance of praise as a spiritual weapon that God has ordained. Listen listen to this, Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Please, please, please notice that last sentence that I just read. That praise is a God-ordained instrument. It is a God-ordained, created, crafted Spiritual instrument whereby we are able, because of our foes, to silence and to still the avenger. It is the same thing that Paul was talking about when he said that we have weapons of warfare that are mighty through God to the dismantling and the demolishing of our adversary's strongholds. David understood the dynamics of praise. He lived a life of praise. Listen to Psalm 149. It's just a, just a smattering of, of, as an example. In fact, the whole psalm, really, Psalm 149, talks about the power of praise. And uh, verse 6 says, let the praises of God be in their mouth and a sharp sword in their hands. The coupling of praise in the mouth and the sword. Now, we know that sword to be the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, when, when the praises of God are in our mouth and the word of the Lord as well is in our hand or in our mouth. To bind, notice verse 8 says, to bind their kings with shackles and their leaders with iron chains. And of course we're talking about spiritual wickedness in high places. The war or the wrestling that we're engaged with is not with flesh and blood but with spiritual principalities and powers. And, and, And here is just a couple of examples of of the, the weaponry that God has provided for us, I love Psalm 150. It's the conclusion of all these songs, right, 150 songs that the Holy Spirit has inspired for us. And uh, it talks about, about praising God with instruments, with a, a variety of instruments. But I love the best instrument of all. at the end of that psalm says, "Let everything that had breath praise the Lord." Do you have breath this morning? then you have an instrument, the best instrument of all, and that which God has ordained to stop the avenger, to still the enemy, to, to stop the foe and demolish the enemy's devices against us. Last week when we were uh, doing worship, uh, in the beginning of the service, uh, we were singing a song, and the lyrics of that song were, were, were simply this, that at the sound of our praise the heavens will shake and the earth will move. I, I, I love that. At the sound, listen, at the sound of our praise, the heavens will shake and the earth will move. And I felt the Holy Spirit begin to just speak to my heart and said, I want you to believe it, not just sing about it. I want you to really Exhort the people. See, I knew where I was going with the conclusion of this series in the, in, in, in the final fifth part of this series. I, I knew I was going to be talking about praise, but I felt the Holy Spirit say, I really, really want my people to get an understanding of the significance of praise as a spiritual weapon because I don't want them just to sing about praise. I want them to believe in the power of praise That I will work for those who praise me. That I will work on on their behalf. Because God's, listen, the Bible says that God is manifested. He is enthroned upon the praises of his people. He inhabits our praises. When we lift up praise to the Lord, it's like the Lord causes his manifest presence to come down. And when God's presence comes among us, something begins to happen things will begin to shake in the heavens. In, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, yet one more time I will shake not only the earth, but I'll shake the heavens as well. Well, that's where, that's where, we, that, that's where we will begin to see things breaking through, where, where we pray for an open heaven, where we pray for the release of, of captives from the, from the powers of darkness. There's a story of a, of a man who was uh, <clears throat> very large, uh, he he was he was you know he loved Christian people he he loved the fellowship with the people in his church and and oftentimes you know because he was so loving people would invite him to their home and, and and he would he would reluctantly he longed to be in the homes of other believers but but because he was such a large man and his frame was so big he knew that they they didn't have a chair in their home that could support his, his heaviness or his weight. And so he would look with longing to be able to enter in a fellowship with, with the people of God, but he could not because of his, of his weightiness and their insensitivity to the fact that they didn't have a chair for him to sit in. Now, you know, the, the, the Bible speaks about the glory of God. Did you know that the Bible speaks about the glory of God as the weightiness of God? God's weighty presence. You see, I believe that when God's presence shows up, unless we have prepared for him a seat, then we've been insensitive to him. Then, then 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 there's you see, that man in the story didn't want to injure anyone or himself. And so he he refrained from coming into their presence. And God so often Unless we are willing to create for God a throne, and he is enthroned upon the praises of his people. That's why praise is such a dynamic and an important issue. Friedrich Nietzsche, a German philosopher, challenged the Judeo-Christian ethics of his his era. Uh, Although he was the son of a Lutheran minister, he was the one who coined that phrase that God is dead He's the the beginning of this existentialism kind of uh, belief around the turn of that century. And uh, one of the things that he said was this. He says, I cannot believe in a God who wants to be praised all the time. Imagine that. He said, I cannot believe in a God who wants to be praised all the time. Now that sarcastic statement, you know, gives us the, the, the impression that somehow maybe God is, is somehow suffering from some sort of inferiority complex. That's why he wants praise. But here's the fact of the matter, is that God has ordained and God has established praise for our benefit more than for his benefit. To refrain from praising God would be the sin of omission. How many of uh, you... This, this, this last week, maybe you were invited to someone's home and, and you enjoyed a, a great Thanksgiving dinner, you know, turkey and gravy and all, and all, all the rest, and I know I'm going to make everybody hungry again just thinking about it. I wanted some leftovers. We ate them all, you know. There's nothing to eat leftovers, you know. So, so, so at the end of a meal like that, I mean, it would be inappropriate not to express praise, gratitude to the host and the chef or the cook who served you. Isn't that right? It is only natural for us to express praise to the one that we love, to the one who has done so much for us, to the one who has graced us with his kindness and his goodness and salvation. And so to not praise God is to, is to commit the sin of, of omission. But I want you to notice this. <sighs> When Jesus was coming into the city of Jerusalem in in what's called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the disciples began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There was all kinds of celebration and excitement, and they were praying. But what happened? The Pharisees didn't like it. They became offended. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Tell your disciples to be quiet. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if these should hold their peace, I I would love to hear it. The very rocks will cry out. If if these should not lift up praise on this day above all days, then the very rock, what was, I I think what Jesus was saying is this, is is that God is demanding praise because of who he is and the greatness of of who he is. If you won't praise him, then God will raise up, even if he has to raise up the inanimate rocks with a voice to lift up praise unto God, and God is able to do that. You know, Lucifer, one of the reasons why that religious spirit hates the expression of praise to God. Lucifer, I don't know if you know this, who is... Transformed into Satan, or I should say deformed into Satan, was once the greatest worship leader in heaven. He was gifted with beauty and with wisdom. He literally had musical abilities that that, that are beyond description. And he was praised for that. And he led the angels in adoration and worship to the Most High God. But something happened the jealousy, the the, the envy, the the pride that was in his heart. As iniquity was found in him, he began to steal the praises that belonged to God and to himself, wanting to be like the Most High God, wanting to establish his throne above the throne of God. And in that warfare that took place, listen, he was effective in the sense that one-third of all the angels followed in the rebellion. Amazing. Amazing. But that is one of the reasons why, listen, that Lucifer, Satan hates the praises and tries to stifle and tries to oppress and tries to vex you and I from ever discovering the significance of praise as a spiritual weapon. Not after the fact, because anybody can sing his praises when we've seen the enemy destroy anybody could sing his praises when the bank is full anybody could sing his praises when all of those things are going right in relationships and all these other things are 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 okay in our life but can you do it on the dangerous side of the red sea can you do it before you see before you actually have the the good news of what god has done that you have confidence in the one who loves you and who is for you and not against you Listen, centuries went by, and the seeds of what was sown at the Red Sea began to flourish, and they began to bring forth fruit. A good king by the name of Jehoshaphat, a godly king, found himself in the very same situation that Moses and the Israelites found themselves, stuck between a rock and a hard place. What were they going to do? Three nations outnumbering Israel came against Jerusalem to destroy it. Three nations, fortified, agreed that, that, that Jerusalem had to fall. And so they came and they declared war against Jehoshaphat. I, lo- I love the scripture. It says that Jehoshaphat called the people together for prayer and fasting and to seek the God of heaven. and And, and, and in this prayer... He he, he kind of reminds God of his promises, which is something that we should be doing. Whenever we pray, we need to remind God of what God has promised. Not that God is reluctant, but that that's what God requires of us. That we put him in remembrance of his word, and it gives us hope when we do so. But I love this. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. In the midst of his prayer, This is what what Jehoshaphat says. He says, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. That's just being absolutely honest. He's acknowledging his weakness. Know your enemy, but fix your eyes on God. Same scenario. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the young men who said, you will not have to fight this battle. Take your positions, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Sound familiar? It is almost the identical words that Moses said to the children of Israel when he said, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, but only stand still and you will see the salvation of the Lord. Those seeds that were sown by the Red Sea centuries before, are now bringing forth fruit now in another generation. And here's the word of the Lord. says, go out and face them tomorrow. The Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat, having heard the word of the Lord by this young man as the Spirit of God came upon him, Jehoshaphat bowed his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some of the Levites stood up and they praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a, notice, a soft voice. No, they praised the Lord with a very loud voice. There was an exuberance of praise that was lifted up. Suddenly, they began to tap into something that would now become for them their strategy against their, this army that outnumbered them and this army that outpowered them they began to unleash the power of praise. And when did it start? Before the battle took place. Even while they were being threatened by their enemy, they began to praise God. They, they heard the word of the Lord. And having heard the word of the Lord, they began to release the strategy. And that became the strategy. Listen to what Jehoshaphat says, verse 21. So Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against them and they were defeated. And when they came to the location where they, they found nothing but dead bodies, sound familiar to you? as they're singing and as they're praising God. And when they show up to the battle, they find nothing but dead bodies. Now, apparently what happens, and you could read that for yourself, is that they began to fight against themselves. Praise began to release a confusion upon them to the point where one nation began to fight against another. And when the two nations defeated the one nation, then they began to fight against each other. What the enemy meant for evil, God brought about for good. You know, it took them, listen, it took them three days to gather up all of the spoils of all the valuables that were left there because of the the dead bodies of those dead soldiers that were there. But this became their strategy. I'll tell you what, that story has been repeated in scriptures, even in the New Testament. When in Acts chapter four, Paul, I'm sorry, Peter and John are beaten, imprisoned and then released and they go back to their their group and they get together and they have a worship service and as they're beginning to worship the Lord, they begin to pray and as they began to pray, the Bible says that the ground upon which they were standing, the place in which they were gathering began to shake and they were all filled with the spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness The gates of hell could not prevail against them. Many of you probably already thinking about Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are beaten. They're tortured. They're put in the innermost prison. But at midnight, the Bible says, they began to sing songs and hymns and praise unto God. And when they began to praise and sing these songs and the prisoners were listening to them, an earthquake began to shake the prison. The lights went out, but the prison cell doors were all sprung open and their chains just miraculously fell off. And you know the story. What happened? The jailer calls out and said, what must I do to be saved? And the jailer and his family that night gave their lives to Christ. God works through the power of praise. Praise is a powerful, effective weapon that God has ordained for us. And what I want you to simply take away from this message this morning is is simply this. Praise as a lifestyle is a God-ordained strategy for victorious living. I'm not just talking about praising when, when we are gathered together and singing songs. I'm talking about praise as a lifestyle. David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Seven times in the day, I will lift up praise unto the Lord. Let this message sink down into your hearts. That God has already provided for us the victory. And when we realize that, even when we're walking through it, even when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death. We will not fear because God is with us and because God is with us and for us, therefore, who can be against us? Let me close with this. In 1815 in London, the people of London all night long were living in fear and dread. That which they had feared the most had seemingly come upon them. Let me say it again. That which they had feared the most had seemingly come upon them great battle was taking place, Wellington against Napoleon, in a place in Belgium called Waterloo. And they were waiting with anticipation for the, for the news of how the battle went. Their, their destiny depended upon the success of, of Wellington. Would Napoleon now invade England in his quest for power? And so as they waited, you know, back in the day, uh, they didn't have the kind of communication. I mean, could you believe it? They lived without the Internet, Twitter, 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 Twitter. No, if, if, you have, if you have a Twitter, you tweet, you know, however that goes. You know, I mean, how did they live without, without cell phones, you know? But they didn't even have telegraphs back in the day. In 1815, the way in which they communicated their messages was by, was by flagmen at different stations along the coast of, of England. They would send out these letters, you know, like Morse code, but through flag signals. Amazing, right? Isn't that cool? You know, so, so, so this night, as the message is going forth from station to station along the coast, it reaches London. And, and, here's, the, and here's the message. W, E. L-L-I-N-G-T-O-N-D-E-F-E-A-T-E-D. And the message was, Wellington defeated. And at that point, a fog rolled into London. And all that night long, the people lived in in despair and hopelessness as the fog prevented any more messaging to take place. But in the morning when the fog lifted, the message was completed. It was Wellington defeated the enemy. Listen, I know of nothing. I, I know of nothing that lifts the fog of fear and dread and hopelessness more than the power of praise that when we dis- determined to live a lifestyle of praise where we say, I will not fear, but I will trust in God. And here's the evidence of my trust in God. I am going to praise him with all of my being, with all of my heart, with all, with all that is within me, with hands lifted up, with hearts surrendered unto him. Listen, the life, I said this earlier, the life that is completely dependent upon God is a life that not only glorifies God, but causes the world to stand up and take notice. That's what God wants from us. One of the greatest strategies that we can have is to live a lifestyle of praise. It will lead to a victorious lifestyle. Let me just close with this, that Jesus himself, you know, many of us know that Jesus from the cross quoted Psalm 22, but if you read, The whole of Psalm 22, it doesn't end with sorrow or with I feel like I've been forsaken. It ends with praise. I will yet praise you in the midst of the congregation of the great. And and, and there prophetically, Jesus is talking about releasing praise. He lived a life just like I'm talking about, a life of praise unto God. And that's what God wants from us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the truth of your word, O God, Lord, that sets us free. You said you shall know the truth and the truth shall set men free. Whom the Son has made free is free indeed. I pray this morning, Father, that we would be set free to worship, set free to live that lifestyle of praise. Set free, Lord God, because the enemy wants to oppress us. He wants to roll in the fog of, of unbelief and doubt and hopelessness and fear. But God, nothing lifts that fog of fear like the power of praise. I thank you, Father, that your word says that out of the mouth of children and infants, you've ordained praise to demolish and to destroy the works of the enemy. And so we thank you, Father, for the revelation of this word. Let's all stand together as we worship him one more time this morning.